Merry Christmas! Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Mount Hope Belmont, where each week you will hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. In this special Christmas series, we are going to find out the reason we celebrate Christmas. What's so great about celebrating the birth of Jesus? What sort of questions come up in your mind? Like, who is Jesus? Why Bethlehem? What do these Christmas carols all mean? Join us for the next few weeks as we celebrate and remember why Jesus was born 2,000 years ago and how it is still a joyful news to us as followers of Jesus. And I pray that after listening to this message, may you be blessed as we hear about the birth of Jesus Christ. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in music this morning. They do a great job. Great job. Well, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 is the text that we're going to be in this morning. And so if you're picking up one of those black Bibles that are in the chairs uh, in front of you or underneath you, we're on page 1019. Or maybe you want to use your app or your whatever it is that you use to read the Bible. Maybe you brought one with you. You can go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's right after 1 Peter. 2 Peter is. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but it's right there. Page 1010 there in the Black Bibles. You know, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but this time of year, this time of year, there's a little bit of tension that can happen. And maybe, maybe you feel this as well. Is This is supposed to be the time of year that is filled with happiness and joy and anticipation and excitement. And in many ways it is. And, and don't you know, there are certain moments in December, there are certain moments between Thanksgiving and Christmas where it all just comes together, right? You have those moments where everything just happens perfectly. And I don't know if it's the way, you know, the sun is hitting the, the Christmas tree or the way the lights are sparkling or just how warm the hot chocolate is. But there are these moments where it all comes together and the peace and the joy and the tranquility of the season, it's like one of those perfect moments. You know, the kids are actually behaving and everything just comes together. And you have one of these moments and you think to yourself, this is what Christmas is supposed to be all about. But if you're like our family, and if you're like, like me, there also comes with this time of year uh, a lot of craziness and a lot of busyness. And it snows 14 inches in the start of December for the first time ever. And I can remember in a long time, and they cancel school for two days, and that just adds to the craziness. And all sorts of things happen. There's work parties, and there's family parties, and there's church parties, and there's all sorts of things that fill up the calendar this time of year. And this tension sort of exists, doesn't it? That, yes, this is supposed to be the time of year that's filled with all good things and all, all wonderful, joyful, peaceful things. But we can find ourselves feeling stressed. We can find ourselves with a lack of peace at different points this year, this time of year. And, you know, it's not just with the decorations and things. You know, I, I don't know what it is for you, but for me, I'm not a giant fan of putting those lights on the outside of my house. And maybe you are. I'm always envious of the people that this is like a natural talent or ability. 
But I can tell you two weeks ago, I was outside and there was snow on the ground and my fingers felt like they were going to fall off. And I'm hanging those lights on, the, on the, the, at least the hooks that have survived the year and putting new hooks on for the ones that have fallen off. And I can tell you that flowing through my body and my mind in that moment is not peace on earth and goodwill to men. It's a whole lot of other things that are flowing through my body and my mind at that moment. And maybe you know what I mean. But you know, it's not just the, the trivial things this time of year the putting up of Christmas lights and things like that. This year, this time of year just has a way of, of bringing out the more serious challenges in life too, the more serious places where we feel like there isn't peace. Maybe, maybe you, you lost someone this year and it, it's been really hard. And it, you know, it, the older I get, the more I realize that, you know, it's, Sometimes it's really hard because it's tragic, and sometimes it's equally as hard because that person has just been there forever. And even though they lived a good life and long years, it is, it is so hard to not have them there anymore. And maybe that happened to you this year. And so you enter this Christmas season, and with all the joy and with all the peace and everything, there's this feeling that there's a lack of peace and a lack of joy because this person that's always been there is now missing from the festivities and it could just be that the stresses of, of finances and things, they get amplified at this time of year. And so that just adds to the lack of peace. And it could be that maybe you're facing a serious diagnosis or someone close to you is facing that situation. And so this time of year, it just it, 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 it helps distract from that, but you're still dealing with that in the midst of it. And, and this time of year just has a way of bringing up those deep-seated areas where we, we feel like there's a lack of, of peace. And it happens in a lot of different situations. In fact, it happened to a man that lived just here down the road in Cambridge uh, in the middle of the 1800s. His name was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and perhaps you know that name. You've heard of that poet. Uh, Henry wrote some fantastic poems, but didn't always have the easiest of life. In fact, I won't get into all of it, but his first wife passed away uh, because of a miscarriage situation. That was very challenging for him. And then finally, after a number of years, he married a woman named Frances, and for 18 years, they had a beautiful marriage, as he describes it. And one uh, day in 1861, uh, Frances died very tragically and very suddenly, and it affected Longfellow very deeply. In fact, he entered into a depression that, that lasted years, and his wife passed away in 1861, and in 1862, he wrote on Christmas Day, he wrote these words. He wrote, he said, uh, the children say it's Merry Christmas, but it is not so for me. Maybe you know how he feels. Because of the things you're going through, because of family situations, because of friendships that are no more, or friendships that are too close or whatever the situation might be, you know what it is to not feel peaceful at this time of year. And to even make things more complicated, the year after his wife passed away, Longfellow's oldest son, Charlie, had six children. His oldest son, Charlie, came to him and said, Dad, I feel like I'm supposed to go and fight on behalf of the North in the Civil War. And Longfellow said, absolutely not. We've had too much pain. We've had too many things happen. I cannot bear my oldest son dying in the war. And one day Longfellow came home to his house right here on Brattle Street in Cambridge. And he walked in and there was a note from his son Charlie. And the note said something like, Dad, I have to go. 
And he got word a little while later that his son was indeed on the battlefield, and he finally gave his permission for his son to join the war. He became a lieutenant in the, in the armed services there. And sure enough, there was a time that Charlie fell ill, but he got better, and he went back to the war, and then he was in the middle of a battle, and a bullet entered his shoulder, his left shoulder, and he was gravely injured. And so Longfellow had to travel down to Washington, D.C. to retrieve his son, and the doctors told him it would take about six months of, of painstaking care for his son to begin to recover. And so he brought him back, not to Cambridge, but to their house in Nahant to be close to the water. And there in that home in Nahant, Longfellow began this painstaking process as he's still grieving the loss of his wife, of caring for his son and trying to bring him back to health. You ever been out on Nahant and took a, taken a look south? You can see the, the skyline of Boston in the distance. Well, as he's sitting in his house on Christmas Day, 1863, Longfellow has his son in the back room who is on the edge of death, and he's grieving the loss of his wife, and he hears the bells begin to chime in the city, all the churches and the bell towers ringing the bells because it's Christmas Day. And he has one of these moments where the bells are singing songs of joy and of peace, And he's looking at his situation and saying, I'm not experiencing any of that at all. And he writes these words. Some of them we just sang. I hear the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the beliefs of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And now here he talks about his son. Then from each bleak, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And listen to what he says here. Maybe you know exactly how he feels here. As he sits in his house, his son recovering, his wife gone, listening to the Christmas bells. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You ever feel that way? Do you ever have to deal with the tension of the fact that when the angels came, they said to the shepherds, they said to the shepherds that Jesus was born and that because of his birth, this meant that, that peace was now established on earth. In fact, this is the way they said it. We just read these verses at Advent. Glory to God in the highest, they said, and on earth, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And as people who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we don't really talk much about this in church world, but somewhere in our hearts, somewhere in our minds, we have to deal with the reality that the truth is this. Jesus came in that manger 2,000 years ago. Jesus came on this earth. But peace did not. And what do we do with that? 
I mean, Jesus showed up, and the angels declared that this is peace on earth for who, with, whom God, with whom God is pleased. And Jesus showed up. He came in the manger. He lived on this earth. He died on the cross. He rose again. And yet, it doesn't take much to look at our world and to argue that even though Jesus has showed up, peace on earth does not exist, right? We're aware of this. You're aware of this, and everyone in our world is aware of this. In fact, many people in our world and almost all of us in this world, we are looking for a way, we're looking for a way to find peace on earth. That's what we want. And in all of our discussion, in political discussions, and all of our discussion about borders, and all of our discussion about, about global issues and local issues, we all want to have a world where people live together in peace. We would love to see that happen. We totally disagree on how we're going to get there. And so the result is, you know this, we look globally and there's no peace on earth. We, there are wars, there are rumors of wars. In fact, in fact uh, I think sometimes we ignore that global news so, because we can't take it all. You watch the nightly news and it's not about what's happening in Syria. It's about the fact that someone's puppy dressed up like Tom Brady. That's the local news. Because we just can't take it all. We can't, we can't take it all in. There's too much out there that reminds us that the world is not yet a peaceful place. And it's not just a global thing. It's a, it's a, it's a more local thing, too. We can look in our family relationships and work relationships and, 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 uh, and with our friendships, and we just know there's, there's tension there. It's not peaceful. And the holidays have this way of bringing all of that kind of stuff to the surface, don't they? You're going to gather together in a few weeks and, you know, some people aren't going to be invited, even though they're part of the family or part of the group or they were part of the group because of what's happened in the past. And you know what? Some of us in the room, we're not going to get invited because of something that happened in the past. And You don't have to look far to say, okay, Jesus showed up, but where is this peace on earth that's been promised? And even some of us, we just have to look. We don't even have to look outside of ourselves. We just look inside of ourselves. And the battles that rage inside of us for security and for purpose and for, and for a sense of significance, we know there's not peace on earth because we feel it every single day when we get up, the loneliness and the despair that can come upon us sometimes while we live life in this earth. So what in the world do we do about all this? What's the answer then? Because some people will come along and they will say to you, if you follow Jesus Christ with your life, you say that if I follow Jesus, there will be peace in my life. But I look at the lives of Christians and I look at the lives of this world and you know what? I don't see it. I don't see it. And some people will go as far to say, you know what I think the problem is? Is I think actually religion is the problem. I actually think you are the problem. The reason we have no peace on this earth is because of religion. And so we're already dealing with this tension, and then these voices come, and they begin to, to mock the manger and mock the belief, and they begin to ask the questions, well, you say that Jesus came and there would be peace, where is it? And we're left struggling as to what we do with all of this. And you and I both know people that have walked away from their faith in Jesus Christ because of this very issue. Because they were thought and they were told if they followed Jesus that life would be perfect and they followed Jesus and life wasn't perfect. And so they left. And maybe you're sitting in the room right now and you have one foot in and one foot out because of this very reason. Well, to get an answer to all of this and get help with all of this, we're going to turn to 2 Peter 
uh, chapter 3. And some of you know who Peter is. Peter is a guy who, who was one of Jesus' disciples. If you're familiar at all with the stories about Jesus, Peter is the one who walked on water. Peter is the one who denied Jesus three times at the cross. I like Peter personally. Peter is the one who's passionate with a lot of confidence but always puts his foot in his mouth. I feel like if Peter can do it, so can I. And I, so I, I like Peter. Peter writes this book uh, about three decades after Jesus was on the earth. And he writes this book to a group of Christians that are asking some of the same questions we're talking about here in this message today. In fact, these are people that chose to follow Jesus. And because they chose to follow Jesus, life got harder, not easier. Because they chose to follow Jesus, they were dealing with religious leaders and government leaders who were persecuting them and causing all sorts of trouble. And so they're dealing with the same issue. Jesus came, we're following him, life got worse, what do we do? And Peter says this in verse 3. Scoffers, let's start about halfway through that verse. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, All things are continuing as they were from the beginning. And that's an interesting phrase, I think. Peter says, people are going to come to you, scoffers are going to come to you, and they're going to say, Jesus was here on this earth just about 30 years ago. What has changed? What has changed? And why are you risking your life and well-being for this man who lived 30 years ago when nothing is different? And isn't that very similar to the same sorts of things we face today? where people would come to us and they would say, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. Why would you stake your entire life on him? Why would you change the way that you're living and put everything, all your, all your chips on, on following him? Peter says to you and to me, when we get overwhelmed with the lack of peace that we experience on a day-to-day basis or when we get overwhelmed with the mocker or the scoffer who would come, and would tell us we're wasting our time, that we are forgetting something very important. And this is what he says in verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the creation, or that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world then existed, the, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So let me, that's a little confusing there. Let me just tell you quickly what he's talking about. Peter's saying, they forget this, that God created the world and then God destroyed the world with water. And he's talking about Noah and the ark, the flood that had happened even thousands of years before this. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter is reminding you and me in these verses and reminding us that the one who would come and would look at the reality that Jesus has come, but peace on earth has not, and would mock and would scoff and would say, how in the world could you believe this is true? That they forget one important thing. 
And that when we're overwhelmed, we forget something that's true as well. And that is that the same God who created this world and put it into place has in mind a day in the future in which he is going to make all things new and he is going to set everything straight and he is going to recreate the world in the way that it is supposed to be. And Peter said we can get overwhelmed with the delay. Do we get overwhelmed with the delay? When you think something's going to happen, like, God, why don't you do it now? Why don't you do it now? Why don't you do it now? It's like when you're sitting in an airport and they just keep bumping back the flight and you, they, you keep waiting for the flight to happen and they push it back again. They push it back again. Then you got to come back the next day and they push it back again. And you're waiting for this thing to take place, that God's going to make all things new. He's going to fix the world and bring peace in the way that he promised to bring it. Definitive, final peace. But he seems to keep taking his time. And why would he do that? Peter says, don't, don't make this mistake. Don't mistake God's slowness for incompetence or to believe that God doesn't care. Don't mistake God taking his time to bring about his promise as a sign that God either has a lack of power or doesn't care about you. Peter says, God's delay is great mercy and grace to us. Because when God comes back definitively, it is going to be very good news for those who follow Jesus Christ with their life and are anticipating an eternity with him. It is going to be terrible news for those who do not. And God, Peter says, is delaying His second coming, God is delaying establishing permanent peace on this earth so that more might come to trust in him, more might come to know him, that more might be able to come into a relationship with him. Because when he makes that definitive move, it is going to be great news for some and terrible news for others. It reminds me of being with a child that's done something wrong or disrespectful, and you know you need to do something to, to let them know that they've, they've done something wrong. You need to bring about some sort of consequence for the action. Have you ever been here? Maybe, maybe you've been here. Maybe this only happens in my house, and in, in, that, place, in, in that case, this is just some sort of confession or something. But, but maybe this happens to you, too. That a child does something disrespectful or a child does something wrong, and you know you got to bring a consequence. And so you say something like this to the child. You need to say you're sorry or there's, there's no screens for the rest of the day, okay? You need to say you're sorry or that's it for screens for the day, right? And in the back of your mind when you say this, at least, you know, sometimes for me, uh, I don't know, maybe you're better people than me, but sometimes for me in the back of my mind, I'm saying to myself, please say you're sorry, please say you're sorry because we all need the screens, Okay, well, the last thing I want and you want is no screen. So please just say you're sorry so we can all have screens, okay? And so you say, that, you, say you need to say you're sorry or no screens. And they fold their arms and they look at you and they say no. And you say, listen, I'm going to count to three, all right? I'm going to count to three. And you better say you're sorry by the time I get to three or else no screens. And you say one. Two, and you better say it, 
you better say you're sorry. Are you going to say you're sorry? Because I'm going to say three. And then when I say three, it's no screens for the rest of the day. And they look at you and they say, no way. And you say, all right. Well, when I get to five, all right? When I get to five, it's going to be no screens. And we're delaying punishment. We delay punishment because we want relationship with the kid. We want the child to say, you know what? I, I did what was wrong, and I'm sorry, and restore that relationship. What we don't want is just to enact punishment and get it over with. We want, so we continue to give chances, and we say, okay, just take this chance. I'm offering you an opportunity here to get out of trouble. Please take it. Please take it. And we delay the punishment to give them an opportunity to do it. It's the same thing God's doing to us. He's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to delay because my heart is, is that one day you will come to me and say, God, you were right, and I was wrong. You're God, and I'm not. I want relationship with you. I'm sorry for the ways that I have walked away from you. And God is mercifully and graciously withholding that final moment so that more might come to know him, Peter says. So don't let the reality of the fact that this world is challenging and difficult steal away the reality that one day God is coming to set everything the way that it should be. As Christians, we, we live, and as followers of Jesus, we live with those two things in mind. The fact that, yes, Jesus has come and begun a process. The manger is a start line for a new thing God is doing. It's not the finish line. It's not the definitive line. That is still coming. The manger starts a new covenant that, that Jesus dies on the cross and he's raised again, but it's not done until he comes again. So we're in the in-between part between Jesus coming and final peace on earth being established through him. So the question is, what do we do in the meantime? And Peter says to us, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is an opportunity to live at peace, even though externally, peace does not yet exist. There is a way to live with internal peace. Live every day of your life, no matter what is happening to you, no matter what is going on inside our world, inside your family, inside your own heart. There is a way to live at peace while we wait for God to establish peace permanently. He says it right here at the end of, at the end of this section in verse 13. He says this. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved... This is you. He's writing to you. Call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. He's writing these words to you. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. When we keep everything in its proper perspective, and we know, and no matter what we're going through, there is a God who is bigger than that thing and a God who has a plan that is bigger than that thing and a God who will provide for everything that we need and a God who promises to be with us and to never leave us or forsake us. Whenever we walk through anything, when we keep in mind and hold intention the fact that God is coming again, that Christ is going to return, that he is going to establish ex external peace on this earth, when we keep that in mind, Peter reminds us that we are able to wait at Peace. In fact, Peter says it this way, I think. Those who wait with purpose, wait with peace. And so are you waiting with purpose this morning? 
Are you living your life as if Jesus Christ is going to return? Because we get all worked up over all of our work things and all of our family things and all of our, all of our internal things. We get all worked up, and those things create all sorts of unrest and steal all of our peace. But when we put them in their proper perspective, that Christ has come, and he has died, and he has risen again, and he is coming again, despite all of the reality around us, we can wait with peace. It's not about denying the reality. It's not about denying reality and saying there's peace when there's not. It's not about denying it, but it is about accepting and acknowledging the reality of who Jesus Christ is. You know, those lines that I, that I read earlier, that's not the end of Longfellow's poem. He writes these words. He says, in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. And maybe you know exactly what he means. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But with his son in the bedroom and still grieving over the loss of his wife, he writes these words. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God's not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know if your biggest challenge this morning is all of the activity that surrounds Christmas, and that's creating all sorts of stress. I don't know if your biggest challenge this morning is with your children or something that's happening in your family. I don't know if what's stealing your peace this morning is the internal battle and struggles that we all go through around identity and purpose and meaning and significance. I don't know if it has something to do with the people around you and the neighbors or, or, or situations uh, that are happening at work. I don't know if it has to do with things that are happening in the world, but I do know this. God's not dead, and he's not asleep. Don't confuse his delay in making everything perfect for him not caring or for him not being strong enough to do it. God is at work. And when you know that he's at work and when you understand that he's at work, you and I can wait with purpose. And when we wait with purpose, we wait with peace. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward this morning as we close. And I'd invite you, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? I'm going to close this in prayer and then we're going to sing a song together this morning. I invite you to close your head and, or close your eyes and bow your head with me this morning. Keep your head open. What's stealing your peace this morning? What is it that takes away from that joy? What is it that takes away from that sense that everything is the way it's supposed to be? Let me remind you, the God who created this world and who sent his son into this world, who loves you, who desires relationship with you, he is still in control and he is coming again and he is going to set everything right. And while we're waiting, you can find peace in every moment of every day as you trust him and as you remember 
that ultimately he is in control. And there is a day that he makes all things right. It doesn't mean these things aren't important. It doesn't mean that we don't worry about them. But it does mean that in the midst of them, in the midst of them, you are able to experience his peace. You ever watch someone who follows Jesus Christ with their life go through something terrible and somehow it doesn't steal their joy or their sanity? And you think to yourself, how is it they're able to do that? How is it they're able to walk through all these difficult things and each and every day and yet they do it with joy? How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible because they get this right. That they understand that a lack of peace in this world does not derail God's plan. That God is still coming to make all things right. And so we're able to wait with purpose. So God, I lift up everyone in this room this morning and all of those areas in our lives where we struggle with peace. God, we trust you in those places. And for the person here who's dealing with their finances or the person who's dealing with their health or the person who's dealing with their family issues or their issues with friends and coworkers and all of those things, God, we give those things to you and we trust you that in the middle of unrest, in the middle of difficulty, God, that you are the one who has the best plan, God, and we receive your peace. The knowledge that no matter what happens in this world, there is a world to come, and you are at work. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship our God together. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m., and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at MT Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.